blast of John chapter 12, um, which is a massive dividing line in the Gospel of John. Um, so it's kind of almost, it's a little past the halfway point, but it's this major shift that happens um, as the rest of it is leading to the cross and really just the, the final moments of Jesus' life within the last even 24 hours, and then we get to the resurrection and things later. But we've made it to the end of John chapter 12 this morning. We're going to close our time in it. Um, So let's go ahead and pray as we dive into God's Word. Father, we, we thank You that there is nothing we could bring to the table yet you provided your Son for us. It doesn't matter how much zeal we have. It doesn't matter how many tears we weep. We couldn't save ourselves. So this morning, as we study your word, may we all the more cling to the cross of Jesus. knowing it is by Him and by Him alone that we are brought back to You. That we are saved from the depths of our sinfulness and made alive to walk in newness of life, to walk in step with Your Spirit that You've put in us. when we believed in Christ. May that Spirit who lives in us as believers work in our hearts this morning. As we hear Your Word, may we desire to keep it. May we receive it with joy. May we treasure Your Word because it's Yours. Because it comes from You. May we treasure You this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. A person's last words are often held on to as significant in the lives of those who heard them. Sometimes they sum up the legacy even of that person. Bob Marley's last words, money can't buy life. Beethoven's last words. Friends, applaud. The comedy is finished. Other times, people's final words seem to give us some insight into what that experience is of the final moments leading to death. Emily Dickinson said, I must go in. The fog is rising. Thomas Edison said, It is very beautiful over there. Steve Jobs' final words were, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. People's final words can be very influential to us. As we conclude John chapter 12 today, we see the end of Jesus' public ministry. 
The rest of the Gospel of John is going to describe his final night with his disciples and the path leading to the cross and resurrection. But when it comes to his public declarations to these crowds of people, those are now coming to a close. In fact, at this very last passage in John 12, we don't even know the environment in which it's taking place. We just know John is bringing his public ministry to a close in his account of it. But what we do see is what Jesus considered to be of utmost significance in these final words. He cries out one final gospel invitation as his public ministry comes to an end in John's gospel. And while much of what we're going to hear in his words today have been things that we've already touched on throughout John's gospel, it's important for us to take this gospel message as a whole for two reasons. First, it's a reminder to those of us who have believed. And I don't know about you, but I can never have too many reminders of the gospel in my own heart. I need to be reminded of the gospel every minute, every hour, every day of my life. But the second reason this gospel invitation is helpful is it provides us with the truths that we need to be extending to the unbelievers around us. All of the truths that we see today work together to give us a whole picture of the saving gospel message found only in Christ. So let's go ahead and jump into our passage, John chapter 12, starting in verse 44. John 12, starting verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now you can clearly see in this text already how some of these pieces are going to fit together. But I'm not going to frame our time this morning just in the same order the passage goes. Instead, I'm going to frame it in terms of our own experience of the path of salvation. Right? So I'm not going to frame it the same way Jesus does, but we are going to cover the entire passage. All right? We're going to cover it, but it's first going to see how the gospel plays out in our own lives so that we can resonate with it, but also so we can understand how we need to speak these truths to the people around us. So first, Jesus gives us a clear description of what is true of people before they believe in him. Right? Your first point, there is darkness without Christ. Since he is the light, anyone who does not come to him as the light finds themselves in darkness. See it in verse 46. 
I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So Jesus has come into the world as a light for the sake of those who believe to no longer remain in darkness. So on the opposite side of that, those, if those who believe no longer remain in darkness, what happens to those who don't believe? They do remain in darkness. But regardless of it, whether you believe or not, in order to remain in darkness, where did you start? In the darkness. You started in the darkness. That's the only way to remain in the darkness. So this is the spiritual reality of every single person in the universe before any one of us believes in Jesus. This is our spiritual reality. We all walked in darkness. Because of sin, we all walked in a life separated from God. In fact, look at how Jesus described it earlier in the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remain in darkness. The wrath of God remains on him. These two realities are linked together, right? Before believing in Jesus, all of us walked in darkness, and all of us had God's wrath remaining on us. Now, this would have been a surprising reality for the Jewish crowds to hear. They assumed they were in the light. Right? Simply because they were part of Israel, God's chosen people. Right? Since God had given them the law and God had made promises to their forefathers, they were the ones who were truly walking with God. And this concept, this mentality was elevated in the lives of the religious leaders. Not only were they in the light because they were Jews, but now the religious leaders saw themselves as the givers of the light. Right? They were the ones who were the teachers of the law. They were the ones who had been trained. They were the ones who got to make judgments over people's lives. But now Jesus arrives on the scene and says, actually, apart from me, you're still in the darkness. Now, for us, that might sound familiar, right? All of us in sin before Jesus. But it's quite astounding to these Jewish people. To be told, you're actually not part of the light unless you're part of me. So it's astounding to the Jewish people. And actually, while for us who are familiar with church language, are familiar with this idea, it's also a quite astounding reality to many people in our present world. Because there's an assumption in our world, and even this assumption seeping into churches, that people all have an innate goodness and innocence to them. In fact, something to be called truth in the eyes of our world is not found in what we read and what is found to be objectively true, but truth now is determined by each individual person. Each person in our world has their own truth. To tell the truth is actually to just express what's in your heart in an honest way. That's what it means to be true. Whatever you feel about yourself 
is true. Being true to your heart is the most truthful thing you could ever do, according to our world. Let me just remind you of one passage in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. You see, what God says about the hearts of human beings is directly opposed to what the world is telling us about human hearts. It's directly against it at this point. There's no subtlety about it. We have the world saying, be true to your heart, and you have God saying, your heart is sick and deceitful. Now, this is of supreme significance. We have to grasp onto this because if the heart is innately good and innocent, what does that person no longer need? Salvation. If all people are good, then all people are already in the light. So darkness is nobody's reality then. But that's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says everybody's in the darkness apart from him, and they're going to remain in that apart from him. So my friends, we have to realize the reality of the darkness in our own lives when we are apart from Christ, and in the lives of everyone else who still is apart from Christ. The darker we understand how our darkness is, the brighter Jesus shines as the light in the darkness. The more you understand how great your sin is, the greater your Savior becomes. It's like that phrase, right? The more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. Right? The more you become aware of your sin, the more you realize how much more of your sin you might not be aware of. Which then makes you realize how much greater your Savior is because of all the sin that you're now growing in your awareness of. Without Christ, we were all in darkness, headed to an eternity in hell, under the wrath of God. That's the bad news. It's necessary to understand the bad news of the gospel, because we can't understand the good news until we've first understood the bad news. But that then brings us to some good news. While we Focused on the second part there of verse 46, right? Not remain in darkness. Now I want to go back to the first part of verse 46. While all of us were in darkness and would have remained in darkness, Jesus comes as the light. Have you ever seen one of those movies where there's a group of people and they're stranded in the middle of the night and it's pitch black and what they're stranded? Then all of a sudden they come across like this bright orange or bright red gun, right? And what do they do? Right? And it sends this flare up in the air and then all of a sudden you can just kind of see everything around them. They can see themselves and hopefully it's sending a signal for someone to come save them. Jesus arrives on the scene like a flare in the pitch black of night. 
Darkness starts to be driven out of the world, right? Demons are being cast out. Illnesses are being healed. The dead are being brought to life. He's making statements like people never being hungry or never being thirsty. Again, the light is shining in the darkness. But it's not for Jesus just to shine the light for a little while and then go away. And what we find is your second point there. Jesus comes to save us into the light. The darkness of our sin being exposed is completely necessary of the gospel message. But the exposure of our sin does nothing for us if there's no salvation for it. Our sin being exposed offers no hope if there's no way to be brought out of our sin, if there's no way to be saved out of the darkness. Nobody, nobody wants the doctor come into the room and say, good news, we have a diagnosis for your disease, and there's no cure for it. Nobody wants that news. No, Jesus comes not just to shine the light and expose the darkness, but he comes to save us out of the darkness, to bring us into the light, right? Now we see that partially in verse 45, right? I've come as light. Whoever believes may not remain in darkness, but we see it even clearer, more clearly in verse 47, just the second part. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus' purpose in coming into the world at this point in history was to save people out of that darkness, Now, you may have already noticed it in this passage. When we start thinking through the gospel message, there's some very key things we tend to think we need to focus on and what's missing from Jesus' gospel invitation here. The message of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? That's a very key part of our gospel message of what we believe, but it's not included here. Why is it not included? Because it hasn't happened yet. Now, Jesus has hinted towards it. We've seen bits and pieces of that already, of him hinting towards his death and resurrection. But it hasn't fully come to pass yet. So, yes, this is the one point of the gospel message, his death and resurrection, that we have to kind of not add to God's word, but make sure we're including in the holistic picture of what the gospel message is. The only way for us to be brought out of the darkness and into the light is not by Jesus just showing up as the light and giving some good teaching. But it's by Jesus showing up as the light and Jesus taking on the wrath that we were under for us. We saw before that we were under God's wrath for our sin. So the only way for us to be saved from that wrath is for someone else to take it for us. That's exactly what Jesus does at the cross. Now, church, if we've believed this, we can't lose sight of this. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When's the last time you mourned over your sin? mourned over because it's ongoing isn't it while yes we have salvation from it our sin is still ongoing in our daily lives when's the last time we mourned over the understanding of how great the depths 
of how awful our sin really is, so that in looking at the cross, we understand the comfort that is given to us. Just think about your sin, every moment of anger you've ever had, every harsh word you've ever spoken, every feeling of bitterness towards somebody, every act of greed, every attitude of self-reliance, every idolatrous devotion when you gave value and glory to something or someone other than God. All of that deserves nothing but eternal wrath. That's it. Wrath that goes on forever. And Jesus takes that wrath at the cross. Not a single drop of wrath left over for you to deal with. He saves you out of the darkness and into the light by his cross and resurrection. Amen? But that leaves us with a question. How do we know who's in the darkness versus who's in the light? If some remain in darkness while others are saved into the light, what determines that? What is the line of judgment that helps us determine who's, who's on one side and who's on the other? That brings us to your third point there. Christ and his word as judgment. Now last week we dealt with that difficult passage of how Jesus was blinding people from believing in him. This week, and I think John did this intentionally, John declares Jesus' words in a way that focus on each person's responsibility to respond to Jesus. Right? So we're getting kind of both sides of it. How is Jesus working in these people's faith, but also or lack of faith, and how are these people supposed to be responding? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Again, last week I told you this, and I'll say it again this week. I don't have all the details on how these things work together, right? How Jesus works in unbelief and in belief, and how human responsibility is also still included in that. I don't know how it all works together, but we do find out each human being is responsible for how they respond to Jesus and his words. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. Now you would get a hearty amen from a lot of people at that, wouldn't you? Wait a second. Even those who don't keep Jesus' words aren't going to be judged? You see, Jesus just loves everybody. He doesn't care how careful you are about listening to what he says. Just try to be a good person. That's all that matters. But then look at verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Uh Uh-oh. Now Jesus just dropped the hammer on all those thoughts. It's true. When Jesus came at his first coming, his coming was not to condemn everyone to wrath, but to save people from that wrath. But now we find out that there's a last day coming 
what we know from other scriptures is the day of Jesus' second coming. And on that day, there is a judge. He is the judge. And specifically, his words at his first coming are the judge. Now, my friends, we should be incredibly thankful that Jesus didn't come as the judge at his first coming. But we also must not neglect the reality that he is going to judge at his second coming. All of us are going to be judged specifically by Jesus' words. Everything Jesus said at his first coming is going to be the line of judgment that will determine whether you're in the dark or the light right now and where you're going to remain for all eternity. If I tell my kids, don't hit each other, my word has now become the line of judgment. If they hit each other, they are showing a lack of concern or a lack of belief in my word as the line of judgment. And guess what? They are going to be on the negative side of my judgment. So the question is, now we have a line of judgment, how are we going to respond to that line of judgment, which is Jesus' words? Look at the warnings that Jesus gives in this invitation. Verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them. So although he's not going to judge these people at this very moment, because he's on a mission to save the very words that these people right now are hearing but are going to refuse to keep are going to be the same words that will sentence them to eternal judgment because they failed to keep them, because they failed to respond to them properly. And he describes that again in verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. So we find out that there are people that can hear Jesus' words, but still never end up truly receiving them. Never end up keeping them. Never end up ultimately, and they ultimately end up proving themselves that they're rejecting Jesus himself. May this be a dire warning for so many people in our churches today. Most, many people... Many people go to church, maybe even read their Bibles, and hear the words of Jesus, but those words are still falling on deaf ears. There's no reception of Jesus, no desire to live by his words, no rejoicing over Jesus' words. Because I'm going to make a statement here, and you might want to argue, but let me make my case first. In verse 48, we see, the one who rejects Jesus, I would say the opposite of rejection is rejoicing. Now, you might want to argue and say, no, the opposite of rejection is accept. You reject, if you don't reject something, you're accepting something, right? Many people use the phrase, I accepted Jesus into my life. But church, let me tell you, I can accept an invitation to a party that I don't want to go to. I can accept something out of obligation or out of a desire to to fulfill some selfish desire. But that type of acceptance is not what Jesus is demanding. His words demand a response of repentance. 
Not out of obligation, right? Not this, I really don't want it, but I just want to protect my eternal future, so I'll just go ahead and take it. That's not what Jesus is wanting. Jesus wants an attitude that now hates the darkness and loves the light. Even if it means the light is going to continue to expose the darkness that still remains in our hearts. It's an attitude that rejoices over Jesus and his words. You're actually excited about it. That you actually love hearing his words. You treasure him. Look at how it's described back in John chapter 3 again. Starting in verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Even if you claim, I accepted the invitation to Jesus, if you still don't really want the light, you haven't responded to Jesus rightly. You must love the light, go to the light, want your works in you not to be your own, to be, but to be seen, to be carried out by God in your life. And I want to just give a quick reminder here also. Jesus doesn't give any limitations to his words being judged on the last day. And what I mean by that is some people want to limit Jesus' words to what we see Jesus say elsewhere is, right, the first and the second greatest commandments, right? Love God and love your neighbor. And some people want to reduce that down to all Jesus wants me to do is try to be good. He just wants me to try to be a nice person to people and, and see that that's the first and greatest commandment. As long as I say I love God and I'm trying to be nice to the people around me, that's all Jesus really wants. But Scripture, particularly the Gospels, are filled with many more words of Jesus than just try to be nice. Don't be angry with your brother. Don't seek after earthly treasures. Don't lust. Forgive those who wrong you. Deny yourself. You're going to be hated by the world. Don't be anxious about the things in this life. To rejoice in Jesus, to receive his words, to keep his words, means you love all that he says. All of it. Now you might ask the question, why should I love, why Jesus? Right? That's the question these Jews are asking here. Why is it that we're to love everything Jesus is saying? Right? We're supposed to be faithful to God, to Yahweh. Why is it that we're so concerned about Jesus' words? And he explains that in the final words of the passage here. Verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus is not just speaking on his own authority here, but on the authority of what the Father has told him to say. 
These words that Jesus is speaking, these words that are going to be the dividing line of judgment to be in the darkness or in the light, are the very words of the Father himself. And why are these words so beneficial to receive and to rejoice over? Because what he says here, the life, the commandment of the Father is eternal life. These words Jesus is speaking from the Father are words of life. Life that will go on forever and ever. If you respond with not receiving and not keeping these words that Jesus is speaking, then you're responding by rejecting God himself. It proves that you want nothing to do with God because he is speaking through Jesus here. These are the words commanded by the Father, right? So people all across our world are going to be judged by the words of Jesus because they are the words of God himself. So all the people in the world that say, I don't believe in God or Jesus are going to be judged by the words of Jesus because they're God's words. All the people that say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe Jesus was God are going to be judged by the words of Jesus because they're the words of God. And everybody who claims even the name of Jesus must still respond rightly to Jesus' words in order to really be in the light because these are the very words of God himself. Otherwise, to not respond rightly to Jesus' words, to not respond rightly to God's words, puts us all in judgment for all eternity. But the good news, this is good news for those who want to hear from God. Those who think this is an important thing, because, your last point here, God is the goal of the gospel. The very reason that the Father sends his Son to speak these words, these words that all people will be judged by, and the very reason the Father sends his Son to go to the cross that we might be saved, is because God is presenting us with a way to come back to him. In the darkness, we were separated from God. Even according to Scripture, it says we were hostile towards God. We were rejecting the truth of who God is, and we were living in idolatry, worshiping the things in creation rather than the Creator. But the good news is that the gospel offers us a way back to God. Jump back now to the beginning of Jesus' invitation here in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Verse 45, And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Do you see what Jesus is offering us here? To believe in Jesus is not to believe in only Jesus, but the one who sent him, which is the Father. To see Jesus, and it's not just a physical scene, though it is partially that. It's that what we've been talking about. To see the glory of who Jesus is, is to not just see Jesus as the Son, but it's the glory of the Father that we're seeing displayed in his Son. Jesus is making it abundantly clear here in his final public invitation to these crowds, that it's not just an invitation to him as the Son, but it's a way to come back to the Father. It's a way to come back to God 
himself. Because this is what we all so desperately need. Most of you know John chapter 14, verse 6. But focus on what that verse really says, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, what's the goal here? No one comes to the Father but by me. The point is to get back to the Father, to get back to God. Or look at how Paul describes it in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of faith, of believing in Jesus, receiving Jesus and his words, is that we might have peace with God. My friends, I hope that this is a beautiful reminder that your goal in believing in Jesus in this life is not just to get to heaven one day. If you only responded to Jesus' invitation because you wanted to avoid the terror of hell, you've missed the gospel. The very purpose of all that Christ said and did was so that you could have God. That you could be brought back into the presence of the very one that you were once estranged from. The one that you were hostile towards. The one that you were foreign to. But now in Christ you've been brought into peace with him. You've been adopted by him. You've been brought back into relationship with him. And that's not for you just some future day. It's for you right now as you sit here. The only way actually that you'll enjoy heaven on that future day is if you enjoy having God right now. That's all heaven is. Is the fullest fulfillment of what we have dimly right now. And let me tell you what's available to you right now in having God. Everything, everything you face in life finds its remedy in having God. Do you struggle with anxiety? God is the God of peace. Do you struggle with depression? In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Do you feel lonely? He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you fight with bitterness? He is the God who forgives you and teaches you how to forgive. Whatever help you need in life, In Christ, you were brought back into relationship with the wonderful counselor. The one who gives you everything you need in life. And that's not easy, right? We can all admit that that's not easy. That's the point of us coming together. That's the point of discipleship. That's the point of having biblical counseling of people around you, is when you are fighting these things, you can have someone to go to and say, point you back to God. What does God's word say about your anxiety? What does God's word say about your depression? What does God's word say about you feeling lonely? I just spent my whole weekend in class talking about how we do these things and actually practicing these things, counseling people and watching others counsel each other of what it means to take an issue of life and point this person back to God. We need each other to do that. But here's the point, though. At the end of the day, the goal of the gospel is God. So, brothers and sisters, it's a simple question as we close. 
do you want God? That determines everything we just saw in this passage. You only come out of the darkness into the light if you want God, who is the light. You only believe in Jesus as the light if you want God. You only receive and keep Jesus' words because they're God's words. His word is the eternal life, and his word alone. This eternal life is not some lofty, floaty, cloudy future reality that you just hope to maybe enjoy one day. This eternal life is yours right now that you can walk with God today. Do you want that? And if your answer is yes, and your answer is that yes, not only do I want that, but yes, I have already believed in Jesus because I want God and I have God, I want you to take it one step further. Do you want others to have that? The only hope for every unsaved person in our world, every unbeliever that is around you in life, is them hearing this gospel of how they can also have God. If you have God, you surely should want others to have him as well. So my final question is, are you going to offer those people the same invitation that you received when you heard Jesus' words and believed them and received God? Will you offer that same invitation to those around you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this straightforward gospel message from Jesus' own mouth. Help us to never lose sight of our own darkness. Help us to mourn over our sin. The sins that we commit every day, break our hearts over them. But not just that we may stay there, but that we might find comfort in the cross. Knowing that it is through the cross that Jesus takes on the wrath for our sin, and it's only through the cross that we are brought out of darkness and into marvelous light. But Father, help us never lose sight of the goal of all of this. It's for us to have you. It's for us to come back into relationship with you right here, right now this morning as we sit here every day that we walk through in life, no matter what it is that we're facing in life, we have you. May we never be content to just hope for some future idea of heaven. May we first enjoy you now, knowing that that greater fulfillment of heaven is going to be all the more glorious. Help us come to you and help us to use each other here that you've surrounded us with here at this church. Help us to use each other to point ourselves back to you whenever we're dealing with issues of this world, issues of the darkness, issues of the fallenness of the things around us, of even still our own hearts that will go astray. Help us to come to each other 
and point each other back to you, knowing that you and your word is enough. And not just enough, but more than enough. It gives us everything we need. Having you is all that we need so that we'll never be hungry or thirsty again. Help us as we go throughout this week to cling to you through the cross of Jesus. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.